This is Donna Otto, and we are engaged in a new year, 2022, and I don't know about you, but new years always surprise me. Like, I'm all ready for the new year, January 1, getting down the Christmas and getting the house back in some semblance of order, but then all of a sudden, there's it's now the 15th of January, and the next two weeks seem to be very, very full. When I have people who I love dearly who have birthdays, and I have to be careful I don't miss them because it just sort of sweeps me away. I don't know if that's true for you, but as I get swept away, I'm reminded that in many churches in the world, this time is called epiphany. Epiphany. And the word epiphany means a manifestation, a integration, an awareness of what? Well, a manifestation is the showing of something that has happened. So we go through Christmas, and the baby is born in the manger. And then, as I said the last time we were together, then within a few weeks, all these things happen. The shepherds come, and King Herod starts killing off children, and the sages come from the east, and, you know, they didn't get on a plane and hop over there in a few hours. They're honking around on a pair of camels or whatever the picture might be. But it took them a while. And and that part begins to talk about the life of Christ, Jesus' life, born in a manger. Then we have this 30 years of relatively silence about his life, and then comes the three years of ministry, which leads to his purpose on earth, the crucifixion. And in that crucifixion, an opportunity for all of us. So in this time of manifestations, we, we pause to look in portions of Scripture. How did Jesus manifest himself? What were the things that we saw him doing? How, what was he engaged in? And because of that, I want to linger a little bit in the women who... We have as stories of the Christmas season, the epiphany season, that shows the manifestation of this child who was born. And needless to say, one of the women would be the Virgin Mary. And we talked a little bit about her and how the angel came and then she went to Elizabeth and how the angel said not to be afraid because she had been uh, a woman who had found favor with God. And we look at Luke 1 and 2 and and continue to read the story of Elizabeth's pregnancy and how the angel um, came and asked Mary to be the mother of God. And then Mary went to Elizabeth and the baby, who was John the Baptist, leapt in her, in Elizabeth's womb. Mary was greatly troubled by all of these things, and we've heard that story during this Christmas time. How can this be? I am a virgin. You are highly favored. And Mary's big and very gracious. Yes. Yes. 
Yes. I've been thinking a lot about that the last few months. I don't know about you, but there's a phrase that many years ago caught my attention, and I've used it for decades, and that is, do you have a big heart and little feet? Or do you have big feet and a little heart? And what does God really want from us both? So Mary had both. Big heart. She said, yes, be it done unto me. And we don't know the context of that meeting. Was it hours long? Was it minutes long? Was it, we, don't, we don't really know those facts, but we do know her first response had to make her be a woman who had a big heart. She said, yes, I am a woman with a big heart, but unlike Mary, my feet are not always the same size. And I say yes, and then my little feet kind of patter along and try to catch up to my big yes. Does that resonate with any of you? The big yes that Mary said, what is a big yes that you might have said? And as this new year has begun, is there some part of this new year thinking that you thought would be a big yes for you, and you're already wondering if you can accomplish it? Now, the baby is born on December 25th, quote-unquote. We know that's not the exact date. And then we see that he's taken to the temple, and eight days later, that's a manifestation of his life when Simeon says, lo, he is the one, the consolation of Israel, and he gives evidence to it. And Simeon offers the prayer and a prayer of thanksgiving. And Mary understood the significance of the coming Messiah. She heard the angel's word all about Jesus and what he would accomplish and presumed she knew what that would look like. She didn't understand that Jerusalem's religious elite would turn against him. She couldn't have guessed that what awaited him was a cross and a borrowed grave. It was at that cross her son's side was pierced, and Simeon told her, a sword will pierce your own soul. I am just guessing that many of you who listen to these podcasts and I don't say thank you often enough. I don't say thank you often enough for the base of support, not only in listening, but in telling others about who we are and what we do, but also in giving. Um, the end of 2021, Modern Homemakers again ended the year in black, and that is good, black as far as finances are concerned, and that is because of your faithfulness. Simeon says to this yes, mother, Mary, mother of the infant Jesus, who is eight days old. What do you think she might have thought when he, when he said that a sword would pierce her own soul? Perhaps she was the most blessed woman of history. You know, some have said she was divine. Or maybe she was just a sinner like the rest of us who needed a savior like the rest of us. Whatever it is, the Bible gives us very much evidence that she was a very normal, normal woman. Just to look at Mary's praise-filled, humble prayer 
that we read in Luke chapter 1, we see that she was a woman and that she was a woman like you are a woman, like I am a woman, and that her, her spirit rejoiced in God. And in fact, after the miraculous birth of Christ, uh, is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not the mother called Mary? Are these not the brothers James and Joseph and Simeon and Judas? Where then did this man get all of these things? Scripture clearly teaches that Mary and Joseph had other children, and that she was a regular mom. The Bible teaches us also that we are to worship God and worship God alone. And I think Mary gives us a wonderful illustration as a woman, as a young woman, as a single woman, as a virgin woman. Her big yes to the angel, her continued yes after the birth, nine months have transpired, eight days after his birth has transpired. Now there is this man who stands in the temple and says, your soul will be pierced. How, have you received anything like that? I know many of you, as as there are so many in my in my world of real relationships here in Phoenix, Arizona, and here in America, and other cities and states where I have lived, I have relationships with women who have born children, who have been emotionally and mentally and physically handicapped. They, their souls were pierced. Their souls were pierced when they went to the hospital to deliver a child that was not alive in the mother's womb. Their souls were pierced. And and I know what I have seen in them is the same thing that I see in Mary, and that is her prayer, her practice of glorifying God, her practice of recognizing who God was and giving glory to who he was and what he had called her to do. The only instruction that Mary gives when we see this first miracle, which is a part of the Epiphany story, the beginning of the ministry of Jesus on earth. Okay, now we're talking years have gone by, but when we celebrate this time of the many manifestations of the birth, we we come to this supper, this wedding at Canaan and at Cana, and here we have the mother, Mary again. Now Mary's lived with this child, has grown this child with her other children, and now he's hardly a child. He's 30 years old. She became a mother when she was 14, and now he's 30. I, I think about that from time to time, and I think, did your firstborn child, did any one of your children not get married? Maybe never get married late in life, have a slow start in figuring out what they wanted to do, etc., etc. Don't you think that Mary had some of those same wonderings? What is this Jesus going to do? And yet she knew from the moment the angel spoke to her, from the moment she said yes to carrying this child, this God child, Savior, God, come down from heaven implanted in her womb to come through the dark tunnel of the birth canal and be born a child in human form to prove how much he loves us. 
And now, 30 years later, <laughs> and they're this wedding. And I do kind of wonder how Mother Mary got invited to the wedding. Like, okay, not all my daughter's friends invite me to their weddings. Uh, was this a friend of the family? I'm not sure that the scripture tells me I should probably go back and look to see if it's clear. But I do know that Mary and Jesus and some of his disciples are all at this wedding. They've all been invited. And the weddings in that era were not, you know, four-hour events. They were days long. People traveled from afar. The villages, whatever size the villages were, there wasn't a printed invitation delivered to every door. Everyone knew that your daughter or your son was being married and you were invited. And so they came. They came prepared to party and laugh and eat and sing and watch the couple be married. And now here's Mary, the mother. And I'm thinking about myself as a mother. Have you ever looked around and seen something going askew in an event one of your children has planned, one of your daughters of the heart, one of your sons of the heart, someone at church you've been mentoring and teaching and the event they're planning, and you see a substantial hole in the plan? Well, I think that's what, exactly what was happening with Mary. She just looked around and she thought, oh no, Jesus is here. Jesus loves his family. We've all been invited to this wedding. And now they have no more wine. One of the, I think it's the NIV, says they have no more wine. And there are two places in the scripture where I think Jesus is, oh, maybe I can't hear his tone, but I wonder if he isn't just a titch sarcastic. The first one is registered in Mark when Jesus and his siblings have come to really, the word is very strong, like to take him, because he's doing too much and he should get some rest. You know, the good Jewish mother who's watching over her son. And he says to the deliverer of the message, your mother and, and your family are out there. And Jesus says, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? I think that's a little sarcastic. He knows who they are. Now, Jesus was never sarcastic, but his plan was to ask that question because he follows up by saying, those who do the will of God are my mother and my brother and my sister and my father. You and I are joint heirs, brother and sister, with Jesus Christ. I love it. And the second time when I think Jesus sounds a titch sarcastic, she says they have no more wine. And I think she sounds a little kind of budinsky, like it's not your wine, Mary. It's not your party, Mary. It's not your kid being married, Mary. But Mary's looking around. She is conscious of more things than the rest of them might be. And Jesus replies, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And I love this Valley, valley of words that Mary and Jesus have. And then Mary concludes it. She, she doesn't volley another sentence back to her son. Oh, mothers, we should learn this. We say one sentence, we know we've gone too far, and instead of stopping, we want to go one more sentence, one more paragraph. I, at least I speak for myself. My daughter's been mostly gracious when I've done that. <laughs> 
My hour has not yet come, and Mary stops. But then she says to the servants, the people who are managing the party, the waiters, the waitresses, the servants, she just sort of whispers in their ear, do whatever he tells you to do. So on the third day of the wedding, this is what happens. This is what happens. And he fills up the tanks, purification vessels, 50 or 60 gallons each. He tells them to fill them up with water. I read somewhere or heard somewhere that Jesus turned 150 gallons of water into wine, the best wine they had ever had. So what happened to Mary? They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. It tells us in Acts chapter 1. And then moving forward about 150 years, uh, church leaders tell us that Mary accompanied John to Ephesus after Pentecost. And that Mary is mentioned again, and tradition claims that Mary died and was buried at Ephesus. And scholars can this consider this evidence as inconclusive. But the last mention of Mary is found in the book of Acts. And I love that because I want to, the next time we're together, talk to you a little bit about the book of Acts, the coming together of the first church, the belonging together as one, the things that they were called to do without Jesus being present. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Mary, a woman of the scripture who helps us learn and listen to grow in love for Christ. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us. I hope you're catching up with our website and things that we have available there. Remember, the common begin and the uncommon finish. Go out and make it a very uncommon day of looking to Mary's life as a woman and mother.